Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed by yours truly since 2007. And uh, as of this recording, we had just had our um, premiere of Emmanuel in Sin City at uh, the Dreamland Cinema here in Sacramento, California. That was on January 19th. And I uh, had a sold-out show, sold lots of uh, DVDs of that in Lady Hyde, so that was cool. And uh, had a great ovation at the end. Everybody enjoyed it. It's a uh, film that starts off very light and then just starts getting darker and darker to the end. And then gets, you'll see. So, uh, And that should be streaming here in the next few months. So uh, keep listening to the podcast and following the Franco Observer um uh, Instagram or Facebook page, and you'll see um, news on the releases of that uh, and why I'm talking about that. Uh, yeah, we have pages on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us there and add us. We're always updating with pictures weekly for the upcoming episodes and all that. So, yeah, find us on Instagram or Facebook under the Franco Observer Podcast. Uh, if you like the show, there's a donation button on the uh, Red Circle main page for either one-time or reoccurring for however much you care. And uh, if you feel free to do that, please do so. Um, please subscribe. And if you dig the shows, download them. They're available on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, uh, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and all your favorite platforms. Uh, if you want to write us a message or questions or fan mail or anything you want to talk about, uh, Franco-wise, uh, questions you may have are about Desperate Visions, you can always get a hold of me at uh, francoobserver at yahoo.com. That's francoobserver at yahoo.com. Um, so, yeah, got those out of the way. So, got that, that, that. We are currently in production on uh, She Knows Fieratu, and uh, that should be coming out later in 2023. And uh, might even start another production before the end of the year starts. We'll see how life and the world and everything goes here in this year of 2023. So, but yeah, that's the plan, Sam. So, all right. Now, on to episode 127, film 131, Blood on My Shoes, which is translated from Sangre in Mi Zapatos. Uh, it's a Spanish production of 1983. Of course, before I go any further, we get uh, all the information from the book Flowers of Perversions, The Delirious Cinema of Jess Franco, Volume 2, by Stephen Thrower. Uh, all right, so yeah, Spain, 1983, Sangre in Mis Zapatos, Blood on My Shoes. Uh, production company, Moondial Films. This is the second of the Moondial Films. Uh, the firm was, first was Alone Against the Terror, and then this, and then they'll get together later, you'll hear, I think. Uh, the distributors, as well, is Moon Dial Films of Madrid. A timeline, uh, shooting date on this is November 1983. Just make sure that's running there. Yep, good. Okay. Yes, yes. All right. So, yeah, shooting date is uh, November 1983. And played in Madrid, July 17th of 1986. And then Seville, June 12th of 1988. So yeah, a little bit of a long turnover there. That's probably the distributed company, not Franco, that's for sure. Um, let's see, theatrical running time, 90 minutes. Uh, and it looks like it was put in the U.S. out of, the, again, that uh, video 
Mago, or I used to say Magoo, but it's M-A-G-O, uh, NTSC, of course, being in America, a video format, uh, 95 minutes, 4 seconds. All right, so here we go on the credits on this film. The director, of course, is Jess Franco, but here he's billed as Clifford Brown, which is one of his uh, many pseudonyms, and of course Clifford Brown is named after the famous jazz uh, performer. Uh, sometimes he uses the brown with an E at the end. Uh, sometimes just brown, B-R-O-W-N. Here it's just B-R-O-W-N. Uh, producer, Hermino Garcia and Santiago Mancara. Director of photography, Juan Solar Cozar. Camera assistant, Angel Odales. Production manager, Antonio Mayans as Jose A. Mayans. Makeup uh, as Mr. Mayans' wife, Juana Dila Moreno. Music, Daniel White, as billed as Pablo Vila, and uncredited, Jess Franco. Lab, Madrid Films, and uncredited, writer, Jess Franco, camera operator, Jess Franco, and editor, Jess Franco. So in this one, he's the director, has some music, and does the writing, camera operator, and editor. Pretty much everything except for uh, pr- producer. And uh, yeah, just on that one, that's interesting. And actually, director of photography is somebody else, too, in the cameras. Of course, he can't be his own camera assistant. Uh, all right. So, cast. Uh, quite a few on this one, actually, compared to Solante Terror. Uh, Antonio Mayans, billed as Robert Foster. It's cool, too. I remember, like, later on, there's a film with Robert Forrester and Robert Foster. I thought that was pretty cool. It's like one of his war films. Uh, let's see, which one is it? I think it's... Uh, Emerald Bay, I think that was the one uh, where they're both in there. I was like, yes. It's like a cool team up. Um, they have Foster Brooks. No. Uh, okay, so cast uh, Antonio Mayans as Robert Foster plays Carlos, a.k.a. Agent X-27. Not 007. Uh, Lena Romay, uh, Paquita Lafina. Uh, okay. Howard Vernon, Professor Albert von Klaus. Daniel Katz plays Paolo Moroni, a.k.a. the Italian, a spy. It's funny, I didn't know he was Italian. I thought watching this he was supposed to be German agent or something. So, uh, and Interesting with the dubbing. It's hard to tell with this whole intent because it's dubbed in English, so it kills anything. Um, Juan Solar Cozar, as Juan Cozar, plays Boris, a.k.a. Moriano, bearded double agent. So you can have that, too. Um... Antonio Riballo as Tony Skins plays a suave CIA man. Veronica Ares Chavaleta, listed on the poster as Anna Stern, plays Lena, a spy. Eugenia Farash plays Eugenia, an ecology, an ecology spy. Yeah, it's interesting, so she uses her same first name. Um, Augustin Gil, a.k.a. Augustin Garcia, as Ramon Garcia, plays Ramona, a flashy dancer at the club. And then uh, Jose Miguel Garcia Marfa, who may or may not be a listener to the show. I'm not sure. I know I'm a friend of his on Facebook, and uh, we exchange likes and everything. So hello to you if you're listening out there. Uh, He's in this film, Jose Miguel Garcia Marfa, as Miguel Casanova. 
the abductor at the abandoned discotheque. Angel Ordales as Angel Santander plays Abdullah Alhazaret, the composer, which is, of course, a, knock, or a nod to H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Uh, Juana de la Moreno as Juana Plaza plays the woman abducted at the airport. And then uncredited, Jose Lamas is the abductor one at the airport, and Jess Franco plays abductor number two at airport. Nice little credit if you can get it. And uh, Rafael Quetano plays the club heavy. Yeah, he's the big muscle dude. That's funny, they didn't bill him in this. Okay, I won't go to the synopsis because it's quite long. All right, uh, production notes. Uh, During the production of this film and its back-to-back predecessor, Solante Ante El Terre, alone against the terror is quite difficult uh, dating these two are quite difficult the credits do not include the deposit of a legal number thus withholding one method of placing the film in sequence neither Antonio Mayans nor Juan Solar can recall exactly when they were shot and there is very little in-camera evidence to make things easier Solante Ante et Terror was copyrighted in 1983 so that probably goes for Sangre en Mis Zapatos too Judging by the overcast weather in both, they were probably either shot between January and April or October and December. I lean toward the latter period thanks to a fleeting clue in Sangre. During a scene in which Paquita is interviewed by Moroni and Lina, three calendars can be seen on the wall behind them, one on top of the other. Assuming that the topmost is the current one, we have a problem. The image is too out of focus to read the current month. However, we see that it's a month where with 30 days and the last day is a Wednesday, assuming the calendar runs Sunday to Saturday. The only suitable candidate is 1983 is November. This fits with the gloomy weather in the film, so with all due caution, I suggest a November 1983 shooting date for both Sangre in Sangre in mis zapatos and sola ante inter. All right, review by Stephen Thrower. Um, could this be just Franco's least talked about movie? Try finding a single substantial review anywhere on the internet. Uh, the film's stubborn unavailability in English. Actually, as of this writing, I watched a uh, copy on DVDR that was uh, subtitled, I believe, by Trash Palace. Um, so anyway, here it says, um, the film's stubborn unavailability in English has pushed it into the background, and even the most obsessive fans have paid it little attention. A hopscotch blend of crime and comedy, it's not one of Franco's more extreme films, offering little of the madness that makes it his best work so intriguing. But it's still worth taking a stroll down its Benidorm mean streets to enjoy some of the Franco-esque absurdities on offer. If only for its opening scenes, Sangre in Mis Zapatos deserves some loving. We begin with one of Franco's most dyspeptic establishing shots, a Volkswagen minibus negotiating a dreary urban roundabout on what looks like the rainiest Thursday afternoon ever committed to celluloid. The soundtrack adds a bar-is-closed saxophone melody, getting things off to a phenomenally downbeat start. What follows is a sequence of shots depicting mundane public spaces and unattractive Benidorm tower blocks, 
photographed at the height of the cloudy season, like something culled from a collection of the worst picture postcards ever. Only Pedro Adamovar's What Have I Done to Deserve This comes close for intentional dreariness. The fact that we're actually seeing the famous Costa del Sol only makes things funnier. In the course of the mid-80s, Franco stacked an aesthetic claim to Benidorm and its neighboring seaside towns, filming their streets as often as Woody Allen did New York's. The details stacked up in the first few minutes are appealing precisely because of how perversely unglamorous they are. A grimy camper van, overcast skies, a close-up of a yawning man, a bunch of elderly tourists lugging their suitcases onto a coach. The plot kicks into action when two drably-dressed undercover spies identifying each other by comparing matching halves of a garden gnome. We really are a long way from James Bond. Actually, I like that scene. Um, Sangre in Mis Zapatos is pretty talky for what's meant to be a thriller, and the plot is busy without being urgent. Franco treats the paraphernalia of the spy film genre, its double agents and secret codes and villainous near-do-wells like so much background furniture. It's all there, but none of it comes into focus. Technically, the film is quite conventional, lacking the rough edges and hallucinatory fracture of his best work. It's played fairly light most of the time, although elements of the grotesque do surface. Comedy and horror collide, for instance, when two callous hoods attempting to administer a drug overdose to an unconscious woman are momentarily distracted from their wickedness by a jaunty song emanating from a mobile discotheque outside. There are other enjoyable facets, too. Howard Vernon is amusing in the, as the pretentious, music-loving old grouch, Professor Von Klaus, and there's a wonderfully cynic scene at the fairground in which a fight breaks out on a Ferris wheel between a heroic CIA agent, Carlos, and his surly, suspicious boss, played by Tony Skios. Um One man hurls the other to his death, and then, to distract the gathering crowd, throws a handful of banknotes. The onlookers forget all about the pulverized corpse and scramble for the cash, allowing the killer to make his escape. However, one has to say that such pearls of Franco-esque charm are scattered a little too thinly in this story itself. Perhaps realizing that there is not enough plot for the required running time, Franco casts around for something else to pad things to. He chooses farce, using it as a playful distraction when the spy story runs out of twists. Unfortunately, as films like Celestine and All Around Maid, 1974, Elise Fontote, 1978, and El Hotel de los Leguas, 1982, showed, Franco is not a skilled comedy director, nor is Lena Romay a flawless comedian. Allowed once again to play her default comedy character, a chatty idiot whose naivete is supposed to be both charming and rib-tickling, Romay simply grates on the nerves. Although she dubs her own performance, her, dis- her delivery is shrill. She tends to blather her lines rather than talk to anyone. Her character is a screwball comedy archetype. The bubbly airhead who lands in hot water, but after ten minutes of Paquita's chuttering, you wish someone would push her under that hot water rather than help her out. 
It would be farcical sequence involving four different spies hiding in Paquita's hotel room drags on far too long, and Franco is stubbornly disinclined to use quick cutting to give comic scenes some pace. The actors are left to do their best with the hastily choreographed physical comedy with little or no assistance from the editing. Unfortunately, after a genuinely funny comedy gambit, a weird concert given by Paquita to a room full of elderly German tourists, Franco stops fishing for LOLs and plows on with the drama. For the last half hour, the film is straightforwardly a thriller... Uh, let's see... A creepy scene in which Paquita explores a derelict outdoor discotheque lifts the film from the doldrums, especially when a secret agent's corpse plunges into view from a raised walkway hanging by the neck. The shift from Spain to Algeria in the last 20 minutes also adds an otherworldly atmosphere, leading to a tense confrontation in a ruined abbey between Mayans, Rome, and Vernon's maniacal professor. No one is ever going to nominate Sangre in Mas Zapatos as an undiscovered masterpiece, but if you've caught the Franco bug, I think you'll get some pleasure from it. It's rather, uh, it's another of those pleasantly odd but neglected little films tucked away in the folds of his filmography. True, it has a business-as-usual feel to it, but even an average day in Franco land is worth a visit. Here, here. Uh, let's see. Franco on screen, Jess is only seen briefly bundling Juana de la Morena into a car at the airport. Music. The sax theme over the credits, first used as an incidental music in Franco's cocktail special, 1978, is called Oceano Nox. That's O-C-E-A-N-O-N-O-X. And can be found on the 1984 library music album Mood Selection Ambiance Volume 1. Elsewhere, the Bonkers synthesizer theme to Black Boots Leather Whip returns, as does the Desert Exploration theme from Oasis of the Zombies. There's a running gag about terrible music and musicmanship with Howard Vernon raving about musical theory. Uh, while bashing tunelessly away on a piano. Um, actually, a cheap electric keyboard on the soundtrack. The musical highlight comes when cabaret artiste Paquita regales a room full of allegedly high-class customers with a diabolical version of green sleeves played on what sounds like a casino tone keyboard set to harpsichord. Undeterred by her tuneless caterwauling and ham-fisted playing, everyone joins in for a singing <clears throat> The joke with pro the joke will probably puzzle some, but will be scarcely the joke will probably puzzle some who will be scarce who will scarcely be able to tell the difference between this and Franco's enthusiastically a tonal score elsewhere in the film. Uh, theatrical release notes like Alone Against the Terror, uh Sangre Mezabados appears to have received only a very brief release, playing for a week in Madrid in nineteen eighty six and two nights at the Kennedy's Drive-In near Seville in 1988. Uh, Sangre in Mis Zapatos was released on video in the USA in Spanish with no subtitles by Video Mago, M-A-G-O, a company based in New Jersey who specialized in Spanish and Venezuelan titles. 
location. Bendorm and Alicante, the Belroy Hotel, is the prime location, still trading as at Avenue del Meritrano in Benidorm. Scene shot in an abandoned swimming pool, a disused outdoor disco complex, and a ruined deconstructed church give the film a compelling air of desolation. A close-up draws attention to the Alicante Oran ferry and the action shifts allegedly to Oran in Algeria for the last reel, although Antonio Mayans has confirmed the production did cross the Mediterranean, or did not cross the Mediterranean. Watch closely and you'll see the same red-robed figures in three different shots, presumably a member of the production team wrapped in a vaguely Arabic piece of fabric in order to sell the outskirts of Benidorm as the northern shores of Algeria. Algeria. Uh, connections. According to Franco and the Amanicoa Files, this is a hyper-faithful reversion of the original script for uh, La Morete Selva Un Blues, Death Whistles the Blues, which in 1962 underwent numerous changes before reaching the screen. However, it's far closer to a script Franco sold to Italian producers around the same time for the Tullio de Michelli film Da 007 Intrigo. Oh, I'm sorry. Da 077 Intrigo a Lisbon, in which a secret agent is sent to Lisbon to recover a secret formula devised by a German professor, which neutralizes the effect of a dangerous weapon developed by an enemy nation. The use of a piece of music to encode a sought-after-secret formula harks back to Kiss Me Killer, 1967. Uh, Blood on My Shoes also reworks elements from the far superior uh, Night of Open Sex, 1981, which can lead to confusion as they're both separated by only two years. Both film ends... Both films end with Lena Romay and Antonio Mayans trying to uncover the secrets of a man called Von Klaus. In the first film, it involved the stash of Nazi gold, while in Blood on My Shoes, it's a formula for building an atomic bomb. Uh, incidentally, there is no apparent connection between the Von Klaus mentioned here and the murderous lead character in 1962's The Sadistic Baron Von Klaus. The scene in which Veronica... Areza Chavalita, Daniel Katz, and Antonio Riballo, plus Juan Solar as a dead body, hide in various places in the same cramped hotel room, exhumes a moldy comedy standby previously indulged in Franco's 1978 teen sex comedy La Chicas de Copacabana. And uh, coming up here to the end, Abdul Alhazared, composer of the sought-after musical codes, is a course named after a certain mad Arab of ill repute who wrote the fiendish occult tome The Necronomicon, as referred to in the stories of H.P. Lovecraft. And uh, according to the press sheet for the film, Sangre in Mis Zapatos, Blood on My Shoes, was based on the Edgar Wallace book Sanders of the River, 1911. Wow. Uh, however, given that the Wallace book concerns the tra travails of a patronalistic British colonel administrator responsible for keeping the peace along a stretch of river in Nigeria. Such a claim is blatantly absurd. So, yeah, according to Stephen Thrower. Um, so, this, uh, oh, where's my note there? That's funny. Um, well, that's weird. I just had a, thank you, let me change my paper. Um, so anyway, um, this film, 
Film 131, uh, will be reviewed after the break by myself and Kali from Los Angeles. And you'll hear our thoughts on this film. Um, the next film, film 132, I do not have, and that is called A Pussy for Two. So uh, I'm going to be skipping over that and going on to the next film in the canon, uh, film 133, How Much for a Spy, Quanta Cobra Un Espia. And uh, that I have a DVD of um, in English with English subs. So, And I think that might just be a solo review by myself um so we'll see either i might have a guest or may not depending on time and uh, scheduling so but uh, yeah so hang on past the break and hear Kali and myself talk here on episode 127 film 131 blood on my shoes sangre sangre es sangre in mes zapatos so all right buenas noches maha hang out all right we are back on episode 127 film 131 sangre in mia zapatos blood on my shoes and my guest again for this episode uh i could insert a insert a crude period joke here about blood on your shoes but i'll be nice uh holly <laughs> how you doing today holly <laughs> how did you know i'm on my period that's kind of freaky jason well you know <clears throat> i have the uh i don't know i have the eye of the sky <laughs> i'm actually i i actually am getting a period in between periods right now which is terrifying me and a little weird since i got my vaccination shot yesterday and then i got my period in the middle of my periods and apparently according to the new york times women are getting their periods more because of them and but i'm still a giant believer in vaccinations it's just a little weird that my body is being funky yeah that's way more than anybody needs to know so that's how we roll here though maybe it's uh gestating inside you <laughs> <laughs> yes it's gestating <laughs> exactly. just franco stating yeah. um so zapatos so you just watched this film, I would guess, for the first time? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And I watched it for the first time. Uh, what did you think? Did you like it or uh, did you dislike it? Um, I mean, it, it, it's the same as the last movie that we watched where it was like, there. I, I kept wondering, like, what is it? What is it the pacing or like, it's, it's just that there's like so much going on in every single scene that it's almost like mentally exhausting trying to keep up because you're like, not really like a lot of it doesn't really like you're trying to is like does it make sense or am i just not like getting it or and then it like it starts to make and then they just do these things that are just so silly and random and you're like wait why did that happen and and but like while you're trying to keep up you're trying to read and it's just becomes this kind of like i don't know it's a little much a lot of it i guess is the best way to put it it's 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 there's a lot it like packed in this and at the same time it feels like it's I don't know. I liked that Lena was Lena, like she, you know, right. She got to play it up. Yeah. She got to play the bombshell and, you know, she had my, she like, I'm that her hair is my favorite in this natural and all shaggy and 
floofy and lovely and she just looks great and she's super sexy in it. And so I was happy with that. And so that, that always makes, uh, that's always like a huge part of, of any Franco viewing. So that made me happy. And so there's, feelings and, about it. Yes. and there's actually a brief glimpse of nudity of Lena in this. Not much, yes, but more than the last weird. film. So, which was funny. Yeah. Wasn't that kind of strange? Cause like when the, when the boobies started first, kind of, I was like, Oh wait, was that boob? And then it, you definitely got the boob flash. And I was like, Oh, like, so they weren't not allowed. He just didn't do it, which is kind of strange. Cause there was like all these opportunities to maybe be a little more Jesse about it, but. And it's funny because right after this and a little bit before this is when he starts doing the porno films as well. So it's funny on these films, he's he's like being really chast. And then on the other ones, he's just full nice. fucking porn, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Maybe he's like getting exhausted with Lena showing all of her bits all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> like, so. Let's just have us a, a plot for once. Come on. Um, and and, I like- and also the the sorry, go ahead. I I like this film more than the last one. Um, okay, you know, but there's like you're saying, it's really convoluted. There's you really got to follow who's who and what's going on, and sometimes there's nothing going on while a lot of stuff's going on, and you kind of have to like pay attention if that makes sense, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. It's like, wait, what? Uh, but but okay, we're, we're, yeah, you're just the following gets a little rough, and it's just a lot of like kind of like it almost makes you feel like you're heavy concentrating on something that like doesn't need to be that much concentration and so it just gets wonky in your brain but yeah um uh oh i was actually asking myself that if i liked this one more than the other one and then i started thinking like there was pluses and minuses about that and i, I couldn't actually answer that because there wasn't like any murder in this you know there, except for the one and then that was like I didn't even understand that. Like she like let the guy go who murdered that. Was... Well, there's a couple murders in here. Actually, the girl gets the, the needle to the neck. She gets killed. And then oh, the guy was she gets... killed? Yeah. I couldn't tell if she, yeah. I guess yeah. she, yeah, Eugenie right at the beginning. Yeah, that's right. Cause they were like, we gave her the truth serum. And so then I was like, wait, did they just like drop her off somewhere? I, don't, I didn't quite understand. Cause like, why did they give her truth serum? Cause all she did was be like, yeah, he's nice. And then they killed her. Right. Yeah, 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 because they yeah. got all the information out of her, what they wanted. There's no so information. She, she gave them no nothing. No. And then they killed her. Yeah. So. Okay. <laughs> like, she but, didn't know anything. Just like, I don't know anything. And they're like, okay, we'll just kill you then. Yeah. That's cool. I thought happened, but I, didn't, I guess I was in denial about it. But yeah, I mean, there weren't murders in the sense of, like, it wasn't about, like, like the last one was, like, you know, terror, you know. Like, right, was, there's more blood in the last film, definitely. Yeah, you know, and it's like actual, like, you know, knifings and all that, you know, but this one, it, there's, you know, it's, it's all just kind of to get like to, to get a job done kind of thing. Not a, not a passionate, there's no passionate murder here. Yeah. Cause the other film was more like a psychological thriller horror film and this is more of a spy thriller comedy film, you know? Yeah. Like it's, it's one of his campy things and, you know, I, I, he, he, I, I wouldn't say this is one of his worst by far. No, uh, with, with the campy comedy stuff, there's some scenes that are hilarious. Oh yeah, um, no, there's a couple that I really laughed at that we'll talk about yeah. when we get to. But yeah, there's a couple with Lena. I was like, I was like, all right, that was really funny. You know, 
Yeah. But, you know, it, it's it's still kind of not, like, hitting the marks that some of the other ones no. that he's done have. It's not his finest hour, but yeah. So, basically, so. this is a... Okay, so, like, the last film, uh, Alone Against the Terror, was a remake of The Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff. Uh, this is a remake of A uh, Night of Open Sex, basically. Okay, yeah. Was made about two years before. Um, yeah. and, and it's got the same Antonio Mayans and Lena Romay, and they're both looking for a Von Klaus... But in the Night of Open Sex, it's treasure gold of his that they're looking for. And in this one, it's the nuclear or uh, the, the uh, missile uh, that they're looking for. Um, the, the formula, wasn't it? Yeah, the formula for the, for, for the missile. The Howard Vernon. Right, which is good created. in this. Yeah. He's great in this. He's 69 years old in this. Oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. It's funny because that's the Vernon thing we talk about. He's either in a Franco film all the way through or he's in it just a little teeny bit. It's like one or the other, you know. Yeah. Just a little yeah, teeny he's here bit. toward the beginning and toward the end. Yeah. Um, this was filmed in um, November 83 and it played uh, July 86. So it, about two and a half years later, it came out um, from when it was made. Um, this is a, a Mundial film, the second – the the second of the two films that he did for that company, uh, Alone Against the Terror, and then this. Um, the copy I watched was 91 minutes. It was a good copy. It was uh, a shadow box that had like bars on the sides and the top, you know. Um, nice. And uh, the opening theme was nice with the saxophone, the very beginning. And that was taken from uh, Cocktail Special again, which we talked about yesterday. That, or I mean, uh, the last episode we did. Uh, the taste of her sperm was in that film, and then the theme from Cocktail Special was in this one. So it's funny he used songs from those from the from the from that film on these two films. I am curious if you had a different copy than me. If yours was like more cleaned up, it sounds like um, on the scene where they're in the Ferris wheel type thing. Uh, yeah. um, do you see lint in one of the cameras? Yeah, like, there's a little bit of lint comes on a couple of that okay. for that one right, scene. Yeah. yeah, that's the so same copy. The probably. same quality then. Yeah. All right. They would have cleaned yeah. that. I, I don't know if they would actually, I don't know. Would they? I thought they this would... looked pretty clean. I thought it was a good, yeah. I mean, the version was, it, it looked good. The colors were bright and it had a, a yeah. burned in subtitle. So I was like, okay, that's, that's cool. You know? Yeah, no, it was, it was solid for me. I liked it. It was pretty and colorful and all that. Yeah. yeah. Lena's uh, crazy dresses were bright. And it's Sorry, funny. where were we? Oh, and it's funny. Uh, Jess uses the name uh, uh, Clifford Brown in the beginning in the credits uh, for his alias in this one. Oh, I didn't catch that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's funny. Like we talk about things we had to always pay attention to. So when I was taking my notes, I was like, okay, I know there's a lot of groups of people, so I had to like kind of. I figured I would keep my notes in like the groups of people because that kept me kind of following the film a little bit, and it helps taking notes as you watch the film because then I can go back to my notes, you know. Um, so at the beginning, we have these two ecological terrorists, basically, and agents, and it's a guy with a beard and then a, a Eugenia, and uh, uh, which is funny, uh, Eugenia, and like that's his name that you know, of course, all the movies, yeah. like Eugenia, you know, and all that. So I, I thought it was funny, and then yeah, she uh, wasn't um terribly cute though, so I was kind of surprised that that was like his, he was using her as a Eugenia because usually his yeah. All of- Eugenies are bombshells, and you know that's true. I didn't think I, about I, that. I kept wondering, like, really, her? You're you're giving that name to her? <laughs> I mean, not you know, 
not her you mean, but she's, no, she's know. just a normal gal, just short hair, a little, a little, a little chubby, you know, and just, just regular, you know, kind of a college yeah, age guy. Very short. Know? Yeah, it was just kind of funny, and you know, he was a fucking dirty looking dude, with the fucking kind of dressed like me with the jeans jacket, and the jeans. And shit. <laughs> I was laughing, uh, <laughs> but I like the scene where they first made sure that they were both agents by having the part of the little gnome, part of the head cut off. and the That thing. rocked my world. Yeah, I'm a giant gnome fan. I have gnomes all over my house and they are thematic to like, they're all over my Christmas tree for Christmas. I'm giant gnome fan. So that made me. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a nice little, um, it was a cheap special effect type thing. And it was a clever way and it held your attention and it was something different so it's like okay that was that was really like i always talk about how i try to get lessons off franco films and that's a good lesson like oh that was a clever thing to do you know and i liked him showing the bartender watching it and thinking like that's that guy's move of picking up chicks and that comes back later on the film when lena and him see the thing on her shirt and then he thinks she's not here he goes oh your trick's not working this time you know kind of fucks that guy which is funny that bartender ruled yeah yeah he was good um So uh, we have the two people there, and um, it's funny. So we talk about Howard Vernon. They go to see him, and he's this German um, professor, and he's uh, von Klaus. And there is also he did the sinister Baron von Klaus, but he's a different von Klaus in this. Wasn't that like his name in um, Alphaville too, I think? Probably so. Yeah, I have Alphaville. I haven't seen that in years, but uh, I – It's something like von Klaus. That's funny. I think that's like a nod to that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so he did that. And then uh, so then we see the other couple, which is that creepy guy, Daniel Katz, which I know you don't you see him. It's like, oh, it's that guy. He's been in a few films we watched before. The kind of the creepy, skinny guy. And there's yeah. a part where Lena's playing a guitar later. And I laugh so hard. So where, far. Oh, my God. That's so, so goofy. The overdub. Yeah. Well, she goes. <laughs> Well, she's playing the guitar. She says, I think you're a bit of a sissy, she says to him. <laughs> oh, that part. I thought even the guitar playing over to like when she's just touching it and there's like gorgeous Daniel White guitar playing. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. Like, was, not even, she's like yeah. not even six, like one strum and there's like this you know, like in the background, <laughs> like the maestro. It's like, okay. But we're just supposed to believe that. But yeah, no, when she called him a sissy, that was great. I loved that. Yeah. Yeah, that's. that's, yeah, that's I like sentiment stuff too. Yeah. Yeah, that was funny. I mean, that's be jumping ahead a little bit, but just uh, describing him, I thought that that was really funny. But yeah, you have him and that woman are like these creepy. So I guess they're the bad guys. I would guess they're probably like German agents. I would believe. Yeah, and uh, they're trying to get the formula as well because they're offering Natasha and Boris over there. Yeah, and uh, so they are the ones that capture Eugenie that we talked about and give her the uh, truth serum and and try to get the uh, facts out of her. And uh, Franco's shooting again in a Benidorm, which is the outdoor kind of uh, plaza area with the cafes and all the other cool little areas in the film we mm-hmm. see. Um, yeah. He used that nice in the Thongirls. What's that? Nice to see all the scenery in this. There's lots of outdoor, like in the town kind of shots, which is not common for him to do. Yeah, no, it totally adds to the whole uh, ambiance and the... Um, the production value of the film and definitely without a lot of money, he, he definitely uses a good stuff. And it's funny too. Uh, well, actually I'll, I'll uh, get to that when we get to there, but uh, that just made me think of something else. Um, so, um, so, we yeah, see Lena. so much, I feel like this, this, this uh, podcast already is like a bit 
scatterbrained, but that's kind of how the movie makes you feel. It's like there's so much going on. Yeah, you know, and I don't want us going through and telling the whole movie, oh, this happened and that happened and this happened. I mean, we're going to skip a bunch of stuff, and that's part of the thing. I mean, people's going to watch the movie. It's just certain things that I thought of and certain things that you thought of and things that we catch and that we like and 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 we try to keep it in chronological order, but there's going to be some things that we're going to forget or whatever, but that's for the people that watch and all that stuff too, I think, you know. Yeah, it's just a chaotic movie in, a, in some ways. So, yeah, it kind of tracks that we're just all, jumping all over the place. So after <laughs> they capture that gal uh, and they get rid of her, she basically drops this, like, little shield, like, this little face, kind of a gold little uh, jewelry uh, uh, pennant that you uh, pin on your shirt. And, yeah, uh, it's the smile and the frown of the theater like you the, that you see. It's yeah. a freaking icon on your phone. Totally. Yeah. So he says that, and so she picks it up, and she plays Paquita, and basically, so I guess she's a prostitute, right? Um, so I can really sort that. It seemed like she was more like a, um, like a dancing girl, you know, but like she, you know, who was willing to, you know, yeah, because she's talked about doing that. She also talks about her. She also talks about herself, like you know, before I put out, I get you know oysters and champagne and i get taken on dates and you know like like she's she's trying to make herself like she's a respectable woman you know like she she because the guy's like hitting on her and saying hey i want to show you my room and she's like no no like you need to wine and dine me first and but then when they're talking about the job you know she's like but when she went into that place though she was like you know singing and 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 uh shaking her ass like she was gonna give him a show but it didn't seem like she was stripping. She was just like, yeah, no, you're right. I think she might've been a stripper or dancer because she starts to almost take off her dress when she first goes in that club, which we're going to jump ahead a little bit, but, but yeah, she kind of does that thing and and she sings a song and he goes, well, I never heard that tune before, but, um, but yeah, I I think she might've been like maybe a stripper or dancer or something. But then when she's talking about later on, when they're offering money, she says, well, usually I take this amount. So she, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. That, that surprised me at that point. I was like, huh? But it was like, well, maybe that's just like, she views that as work. You know, I mean, that's a, that's different than, you know, her relationships, which, you know, tracks as well. Yeah. Cause she kept saying that she was from the agency and he was from the agency and they were getting mixed up. So I think it was maybe right, like a right. dancing agency or like a talent agency. Probably. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's what I thought. Cause I mean, it's not like a prostitute would have somebody picking her up from the airport and taking her, you know, or like when she said she's the agency, it's kind of like, kind of like a modeling agency was kind of my, what I was thinking. Yeah. But was, usually modeling uh, agencies, like, talent, like a talent agency. Yeah. That makes yeah. more sense. Um, because yeah, the, I guess we should mention that to listeners is like the whole, pr- the basic premise is that Lena Remy comes to town, um, and you, at, at first you see this woman um, who is wearing the the pin, the theater pin, and it falls off of her when she's kidnapped and taken away, and you know probably murdered. Uh, we we don't see that, but yeah, like she's 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 gets disappeared, and then um, uh, Lena walks out from the from the. Air, uh, airport and on the ground she sees the pin so she picks it up and just like at the beginning where the guy had found the gnome hat or you know matched the gnome uh with eugenia then he sees her at the same espresso bar and uh she and and he shows her the that he has the happy pin and she has she's wearing the sad pin that she found at the airport but she just found it she she's not the actual spy who he was supposed to meet up with so that's the whole premise is that 
she's not really a spy, but because she's with the agency and he's with the agency, they both think that they're supposed to be working together and they get confused. And that's the whole waha, like that's the whole kind of premise of the joke. No, that's basically it. Yeah. And then basically Antonio Mayans plays a CIA agent and then there's, uh, uh, communist agencies and there's you know other uh, double cross agencies you know or uh, agents that flipped and that you know went from one side to the other and yeah, it gets all convoluted and confusing yeah. it's hard to follow basically you're just trying to keep your eyes on lena and see like how she navigates this thing because she's supposed to be a, a spy but she's not a spy she's just like some sweet innocent you know she just wants to entertain and have fun and right and meanwhile woman- we're dying around her and She's confused. <laughs> and the woman they know that they're expecting is somebody that knows music. So then Lena comes in talking about her gig that she has coming up and they think, oh, it's it's that and all the other stuff. So then it starts. So then basically what's funny is uh, they basically she has to know all this music and like how to play music. And she doesn't really know how to play music really well. And she has to like learn all this stuff pretty fast, which is pretty funny. But she on. does, it, which right. is weird. She's like singing whole songs and and you know, yeah. playing just fine. These sonatas and all these like fancy stuff that. And weirdly, the people that she's hired by are the Boris and Natasha or whatever couple, like the 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 evil couple. But they actually are legitimately like the proprietors of this bar restaurant thing with. Uh, yeah, and you know the name of the club, right? I didn't catch it. It's the Flamingo Club, which is like the oh yeah Franco, yeah yeah it was Franco that's deal, right know? the one that yeah. he's always having yeah yeah I did see that that's right I was just thinking of that front part where she's like ooh but uh, before that though she gets picked up from the airport by uh, Antonio Mayans and he looks cool in here with his big beard he's got his gray like in the middle of his beard he's got his sunglasses on and shit driving his yeah. jeep and he's like the CIA guy but he acts like he's just some kind of guy that's there to pick her up from the agency. And that he's there to like show around the town and stuff. And so he checks her into the hotel. And it's funny. They tell her, oh, you got the uh, room of the dead. They tell her, which is yeah, funny. And she gets all freaked weird. out. So it's weird as, okay, so she gets the room of the <laughs> dead. The <laughs> yeah. And then later on, the guy that, jumping ahead way later on, the guy that is the creator of the song that they're looking for, the Arab guy, they call him... Um, um, Abdul Azriad, basically that name of that guy, if you read H.P. Lovecraft, he's the mad Arab that wrote the Necronomicon and the really? Lovecraft stuff. So Lena wow. stays in the room of the dead, and then that guy's name is the creator of the Book of the Dead. So it's like, oh, that's kind of cool little link. With those Did you stories. know that from the the Franco book that you have, or do you just? Know I did on the guy's name, and then when I heard her say the book, the the Room of the Dead, I go, oh, that's interesting, and I just wrote that down myself. So okay, yeah, yeah that's a wild catch. That's crazy. Because yeah, 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 then later on, they're like, the music has is Arabic or something, and we've yeah, got and a they trace which to is that like, guy. what are you? It was just like a very common melody. So, like Totally, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, Lena gets the, the uh, Room of the Dead, and then we talk about she goes to the uh, Flamingo Bar Club uh, with a mistaken identity. And uh, when she first talks about to him, and, and she's, he says, oh, do you know how to do music or know how to sing? Lena goes into the song, and I wrote the lyrics down because I started laughing. So Lena's like doing this little dance, and she starts to get ready to take off her dress. And he goes, "Whoa, what are you doing?" But the song she sings is "Coca Party, Coca Party, You Look Like a Tomato." 
was the song that she was singing. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah, he's like, oh, I, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, he goes, what the, I've never heard that song before, you know. Yeah, uh, and she's shaking herself, and that that dress was so weird on her. Like, it, it was, that was, I don't understand, like, the how they dress Lena because she's got the most amazing body. And sometimes I'm like, what are you putting her in that for? It was like a, the, the, the style of that slip that she was in during so much of the film was like the kind of style that you do for somebody who's really tall and slim and has like really broad, like, you know, shoulders, those kind of like, you know, those chicks who have like the, um, the shoulder bones that pop out up here, you know, right, like that, that, that kind of cut that, you know, of that dress yeah. was like, that's what that's for. And it, on her, it like was all pressing her tits down and all stretched out and made her yeah, look it did fat, look, Yeah, it looked not, like it was, it just, yeah. It was not like flattering and any level. And it was like, don't, who is dressing? Like, do you not have a costume designer? Like, I don't think they do, you know, cause it's like somebody should be there to be like, what no that's not the dress for lena like i mean i want to dress lena like i could make that i mean she's but but after that her and him go down positives maybe but her and him (laughs) go down down to the pool area right after that and she wears that leopard uh caveman strap love that oh my god yes that's like a flintstone swimsuit oh my god i was dying i was like i want that swimsuit that was sheer tit all hanging out well remember though and then and then I totally tracked that. I go, hey, I totally recognize that because to me that's like a wrestling thing over the caveman shoulder. Oh, they call that style. That is a wrestling thing, isn't it? So like- I remember seeing that before. I go, which Franco film was that? I was like, I think that's from uh, a Eugenie. And I went back to the um, um, Eugenie 1980 a story of her perversion, you know, with Katja Benner. That wow, movie. really? And uh, Alina wears that in there. Remember, Alina's wearing that, and she's got that blonde wig on, that long one, and she's sitting in the back of the Jeep, and she's wearing that caveman fucking thing. So, yeah, it's it's about two years before this, or three years before this, the Eugenie. We did a review on it with Katja Bennett and uh, that version. It's like the third Eugenie, or the fourth one. But anyway, oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I totally, I totally saw it. I was like, oh shit, I totally saw that before. So because you know they always um, reuse a lot of the same costumes. Well, I like that she kept that one because that's a bombshell uh, swimsuit. It, <laughs> for 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 our listeners, um, it's just a simple swimsuit with the um, the the cheetah print, but um, it only has like one strap on on cut, like where it holds up one tit, and then the other one's just kind of like jiggling. Yeah, when you order uh, wrestling uh, singlets, that's called a, a caveman strap because it's only one. Oh, honestly, okay. So I would yeah. think that's probably, especially with the le- with the leopard or the cheetah, that makes sense with a caveman or a yeah, it's Flintstones. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so uh, yeah, so basically, we see a bunch of people watching other people, the spies. Basically, Boris shoots the other ecological ecologicalist, ec- the ecological. I can't think of the right word. The ecological terrorist or the whatever. <laughs> uh, and then there's that scene where basically he shoots him and then hides the body in her uh, her like uh, uh, and then the other people come in the room and then she makes the joke at the German guy about being a sissy and then his wife comes in the room and they're all trying to hide behind the curtain and then Antonio Mayans comes in the room and then it's almost like a three's company or a slapstick comedy thing yeah know? yeah super corny comedy there yeah total threes comedy 
Like yeah. Nats is about to come in any second and catch everybody. And then she kisses him and turns her back. And then everybody gets out of the room one by one, sneaking out of the thing. And then they get rid of the body and they tell the people that their kid has mumps. So they have to get rid of the body. It's dumb. Oh my God. That's so ridiculous. When like that, they just like put a little blanket over a grown man in a baby carriage thing and put a pillow on his face and start like running him down the stairs and stuff and falls out. And that that was so campy and corny and just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's going for it. It was funny. And then uh, my favorite scene in the movie is coming up here um, where Lena Fani plays at the club and she's playing on this Korg keyboard and she's playing for all these old German tourists. And, and you loved like, it when the old dude winks at her. Oh, that's my favorite part of the movie. Thank you. It looks at, and Lena's eyes get real big, like, oh shit, like what the fuck am I gonna do? I thought that was so fucking funny. Oh, it's like this 90-year-old dude's like, hey, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and there's all these old German that's tourists. Me as a 90-year-old. I'm gonna be like <laughs> when I'm 90. Like, what's up? That's funny. <laughs> Still be whistling at boys on the yeah, street. Yeah. Construction worker. <laughs> so she's singing green 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 sleeves to everybody and, and she's playing the song. Everybody's singing along and it's really bad. And and it's actually really funny. Like oh, in, in any other movie, that scene is a funny scene. I thought that was like pretty funny. I, I was laughing all through it. It was um, cute, yeah. But kind of weird how everybody is like Cheer, like singing along and like acting like she's doing a great job when it was like you know, I know she's singing off key the wrong terrible. fucking notes and playing the wrong keys it's so funny yeah. um, and then they talk about a lot of the German tourists the next day are going on a donkey safari and I always thought that was bizarre you know? <laughs> donkey safari yeah. yeah yeah I mean mule at least but nobody rides a donkey yeah and then we have another set of spies, the big muscle man guy and uh, uh, Jose Garcia Marfa, the guy. And they're they're the ones that kind of run the club, too, with the other Boris and Natasha type character guy, like people. Remember the big muscle guys blocking the area? Yeah, for him so he can't she screams when she first sees him. It's cute. And then uh, Franco dubs that guy dancing with that woman. And uh, Antonio Mines picks a fight with the guy so he can get out of the club to get arrested by the cops. And he goes, uh, hey, little man, I'll have your woman for you. And he goes, what are you talking about? And that was like Jess Franco's voice dubbing that little guy. And the guy like does a good like jump kick on Antonio Mayans. Then he gives him an airplane spin and like fucks him up pretty good. It's pretty funny <laughs> scene. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was that was good. I liked that. The, I, the airplane spin was solid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was funny. Um, and then, uh, we have the Arabic music we talk about and they have this whole thing where one person has a music box and it's funny too, because the last film, they had the music box theme that we were talking about. And this film had actual music boxes in it. That was the main, it was pretty anticlimactic with the whole music thing. Cause they were like on some kind of like the entire time they were on like this musical, uh, mystery journey and they're trying to work it out. She's even at the, you know, at the, the piano and he's like we must figure out what song this is and i mean they do finally when they get to that dude like say okay here's the lyrics but it didn't seem to like go anywhere it was like after all of the music box stuff and all of that like i was trying to follow along with that and i was like is this and then i don't think it even like went anywhere or did it 
Well, say. yeah, because one music box had one song and the other music box had the other, and then they had to figure out you do every other yeah, it was note. Kumbaya and Oh My Darling Clementine. Those were the two different Yeah, yeah. Ones. I recognize Kumbaya. I didn't recognize the other one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. and then basically the whistles, they had to take... The, whistles, the, the Clementine one in the, be- in the beginning, in the car... Like, oh yeah, you're that. right. You're right. You're right. And you're then, right. and then later on, I was like, "Oh, that's the same tune." And then the other one was like, "Da da 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 da," and I was like, "Yeah, that's that's Kumbaya." Like anybody who went to camp knows that song. Right. No, that one I totally recognize. You know. Yeah, but, and yeah. I was like, "What do you mean that's Arabic? That's that's fucking Kumbaya." I don't. Maybe that is. <laughs> well, what they did was they took one note from one <laughs> song and then one note from the other, and then like say B, C, G, E, and they took those letters and then they played a song based off of those two songs put together and that made a different song. Oh, okay. I guess and I, then that yeah, song was the Arabic song and then that was something else. Yeah. But you know, I have to say like this, the whole time I was watching this and I was like struggling like to maintain focus. I was wondering if it was the booster shot or like, it reminded me of uh, like back in Chicago, I was in a book club with my friends and um, there was this one book club where we had all been assigned and we we all used to read the book every you know month and when we got together we'd talk about it it was always really fun we you know and then we got together this one time and none of us not one of us had read the book and we were like <laughs> weird you know and so we we kind of like none like none of us finished it some of us started it we got to different places but none of us got, came even close to finishing it and we didn't know why and and it was like, well, whatever, I guess we'll just get drunk. But then Amanda was like, well, let's talk about like why we didn't finish it. Like, what do we not get out of it? What do we, you know, like get, like, why did we? And and I, I, I kept thinking of that book club while I watched this movie because I kind of kept like trying not to tune out and like, like pick up my phone, you know, I was like, put it down because you can't, with subtitles, especially like you've got to right. pay attention. I'm like, it's a podcast. So, but like, I kept having that urge, you know, to like, kind of go somewhere else in my mind. And I was like, why? And I kept asking myself, why am I doing that? Because there's a lot going on on the screen. There's a lot happening. There's a lot to like, you know, for me to be enjoying. But for some reason, I kept like having, and I don't usually feel that with Franco. Franco usually just like puts me in this like dream, like, you know, like I I just want to zone out on his stuff and could watch Franco for hours, I feel like when I'm watching it. And so it was really strange. And I kept asking myself, why didn't I want to finish it? You know, so it was, it was it was interesting. So it's funny that I didn't follow through with the music thing, but I, I guess I felt like I was trying too hard with it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I would like to figure out what it is about the, the last two Francos that are so unlike other Francos that they threw us. Yeah, no, I mean, like we we're saying, they're they're copies of copies of copies, and then you know he's redoing a lot of the same stuff, and it's stuff we liked better before. And, you know, that's a really good point. Yeah. And Just a lot of the sex ain't there. A lot of the, you know, standard stuff is more watered down and it's, it's, you know, but there's still some really good shots, locations, there's places we like, people we like, all that, you know, cool cast, same faces, all that stuff, you know, he could do better and we kind of know that. So maybe that's why. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, I think it's also just there's so much crammed into every scene. It's it's just really like a lot to to keep up with. You know, you don't want to feel like watching a movie is work. I don't know. No. And I try to figure out like why it was though, because there's a lot of movies that you watch. There's a lot of stuff going on, but you kind of just you're into it and there's a flow to it. But they're just I don't know. It's a strange vibe on these last two that I just can't. Yeah, no, I feel you. Yeah, I kind of feel that way too, where it's like, okay, well, this is an assignment. I got to get it done. And there's a date and, and there's a thing to this and there's a, I, I can't just turn it off and stuff. No, it's, I mean, there's, 
there's other <laughs> films I felt that way about as well. I mean, and I don't dislike this film. I actually liked it. I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I liked yeah, it, that's the weird know. thing too because I was like, there's a lot of things about this I like. Why can't I like get my brain like into it? I don't know. Well, think of it like a person. Like sometimes there's a person where you think they're attractive and stuff, but there's just no attraction to them. You're just like, I oh, they're just good looking and they have the same things I like and stuff, but I just don't, I'm just not attracted to them. You know, it's maybe the same thing with this film. It's just, yeah, this film got no chemistry. you know, especially when you can look at the other ones you like, like, Oh, that's better. That's better. That's better. That's better. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's funny how that works. But um, let's see, we got a little bit of time for the mm-hmm. interruption here. Um, so yeah, let's talk about uh, where they get to basically uh, before that uh, Antonio Mayans meets up with, another agent and double crosses him up on the Ferris wheel. That's a really good scene uh, Yeah, where they're fighting. And uh, he basically throws him off the Ferris wheel. They threw like a dummy off the Ferris wheel, which looked pretty good. I thought it, it looked believable to me, you know, it was not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I, I was like, Oh, that wasn't like, I was expecting, you know, the thing where like the, the arm falls off and gets, you know, it's like somewhere else. Or, like, yeah. something campy, but I, almost like intentionally, but no, it was, it was fine. And then I like how, you know, through the, the purse or whatever with all the money over it. And then everybody's like, you know, shouting dinero and running and, and grabbing all the, the cash. And that was, you know, to, and so he just like climbs down and gets yeah, and away. Sneaks away. And it's cool. Franco zooms in on this like vulture. That's sitting there by the, the toy. The vulture was great. That, Love yeah, like all the people are vultures and they're just taking all the money, you know. Like mm, was, yeah, good like, metaphor. Oh, yeah, big time. It's, it's obviously right there. It zooms right that. in on it. You know? I was just like, oh, cool vulture. But yeah, it's a little yeah, metaphor. Totally, totally. Um, Love it. And then we get into the um, Abdullah Lared. We talked about the um, Al Zahid, the Necronomicon guy, uh, basically the guy that has the tune that for Professor Von Klaus that they have to look for. And he's already dead. And uh, basically the uh, uh, the other two agents, the man and woman, beat the shit out of him and, and got, got the music box, I guess, uh, or whatever, or got the information from him. And uh, so they basically try to get him and they figure out where, and, uh, where <laughs> Howard Vernon is. Yeah, so they see Howard Vernon, and uh, basically they uh, he gets he has a gun on him, and he's all pissed off because they found him. And he says, "Well, I'm not going to give you my formula, and and my information goes to me." And he goes, "Well, we're going to give it to we're going to take Ronald Reagan." Yeah, he goes, "We're going to give our information to the United States." He goes, "Oh, the United States? You mean the president? That's a movies movie actor, a Ronald Reagan?" He goes, "Let's see what I wrote down." He goes. He goes, uh, Ronald Reagan. I'd rather, I'd rather die. He goes, uh, and then he goes, makers of Coca Cola. Yeah, he goes. I, he goes. I would give it to the uh, to the inventors of a Coca Cola. And then Lena goes, I do like a Coca Cola. Coca Cola. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was totally yeah. Lena, you know. But but I like yeah. it. Who's to Coca Cola? Yeah, whiskey. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. Yeah, that's like totally like Coca Cola. I was on Howard Vernon's side because I, I think Coke's gross, and I think it's super weird that like everyone likes it but me. So when when he said that, I was like, "Yeah, Howard, you and me are on the same page about Coke." <laughs> yeah, it is kind of cool his speech about you know uh, uh, Ronald Reagan and uh, America in the eighties and Coca Cola. That's almost like you know Franco's kind of like thumbing his nose at the USA. You know, kind of like oh fuck that shit. You know, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of a cool little you know. You've got movie stars for presidents. It's silly. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of laughing at it, you know. Um, yep. 
But then, uh, every Republican's favorite, uh, president of all time. Yeah. Which is goofy. And and then it's cool. So then, so then, uh, Antonio Mayan shoots him and he goes, uh, you cannot hurt me. I'm invincible, you know, and he talks about his mind and, and, you know, what he has in his mind because of the way I think and the way I, I am, I am invincible, you know, and he dies. Yeah. Yeah, He thinks he's invincible, but, but no, nope. That that bullet actually worked, but he it was cute how even after getting shot, he's like, "Nope, you can't hurt me." Yeah, he walks away. Just, if, anybody, if anybody ever shoots me, that's what I'm going to say. I will live forever, and then I'll die. But it's cool. It's almost like that was a western shot. I was thinking of a Kill Bill too, where like Bill gets killed and he walks away and then dies. You know, like or nice. walked yes. away and he kind of died. You know, good call. Um. And then, uh, so then, Le- so then Bill to watch later today. I'm yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, so then, uh, they get the formula and then they take off in their Jeep and they sing in, uh, uh, deep in the heart of Texas as they're driving the thing. I was laughing about that. Um, driving their Jeep through the area. And then, um, we have the female and male evil spies flying above them in their little fucking, uh, Helicopter. Which is why I think I was thinking like that was that was actually where I got the Boris and Natasha thing because like you know you whenever I think of them in the cartoon I always think of them like in their plane you know trying to like bomb people below and so that was the last thing you're left with is those two up there trying to shoot them or whatever and yeah that was that was what made me think of that and because you were saying they were German <laughs> no actually they're Italian now I look at it Daniel Katz uh, plays the Italian a spy. Okay. So we were way yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I I was just that that was all I was I was just thinking of like a you know, the evil spy couple who shoots people from a plane and that 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 was what that was why. I loved that actually when they were you know, driving around and they're trying to shoot them and there's that thing where they think it gets going they think the plane goes down and they get all excited and happy and then they they're trying to you know, they're going to celebrate but then the plane swoops up again and they're like, "Oh no." get on the gas and yeah cute little you know which is funny because franco's used that before in other movies where it's like i think yeah uh, Yeah. the two female spies in flowered panties where it's the two women in the helicopter and -hmm. it's cool because he'll shoot like the helicopter not moving like a close-up shot of like like her with the window down when she's lighting the shit throwing it out you tell it's not flying he just has to get that good shot of them pretending like they're flying and then he'll show the the uh, cutaway shots of the thing flying over and like in the last movie, how the big money was spent on the car going over the bridge and, and exploding this, they they didn't explode the helicopter because when it flew over the hill the second time before it exploded, if you watch quick, there's like a cut and then there's an explosion. So they're probably just using explosions off in the distance, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, that last scene where where it exploded, I was like, oh wow, like they really timed that and spent money. You know, I was was, like proud of Jess for his, you know, utilizing his budget there, making sure you have a grand finale. But yeah, no, if you watch close, there's a jump cut and it flies off out of the distance, and then there's an explosion of just of just an explosion planted, and then just cuts to it real fast. You know? Yeah. Okay. Because they had all the explosions that they were dropping from the plane supposedly and there's one they're basically throwing them in front of the jeep and the jeeps were stopped and they explode and they drive through it and i mean seeing how knowing how they make film you can see how they did it and it's pretty easy but it's very creative and the flow of that looked pretty good it it actually 
went yeah. well. You know, it didn't look cheesy or nothing. I thought, you know. Yeah, no, it's it was cute. It played well with the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah. And one thing about this film for the budget they had and stuff, it was actually there was a lot of um, exciting sequences. Like, there's some good action sequences for a Jess Franco film, and you know, even the funny thing of carrying the guy's body down the stairs and the driving the jeep and the explosions and and you know fighting the bar and you know there's a couple of good sequences in here where it's a good action stuff you know yeah yeah it has all the elements yeah yeah but somehow just not new to me. like you know i'm never gonna watch it again <laughs> like, okay. I'm, you know i'm like i'm glad i watched it but you know but like I, I mean it was fun but it's like if i ever think to put on a franco film that's not going to be my you know yeah exactly there's, grabbing that this one there's a hundred so, to watch before this definitely yeah, so it's like it's funny how that works, though. Yeah, and that's good to have those many choices. So you know, it's nothing wrong with that. Yep. So yeah, basically they get away in the end, and they're happy, and they get to make a bunch of money and live happily ever after. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know Lena. I think like yeah, my basic takeaway is I just like seeing Lena charming, and I think she's very charming in this. She's super cute and yeah, of- she gets to sing, dance. She's she's. Really funny in this. I mean, she has some good comedy scenes I could talk about. Yeah. And, and she does her action. And yeah, she's, you know, gets to coast a little bit and not get to be all, throw herself off mountains and, you know, fuck 50 people and stuff. She can just do her thing and, you know, have a good time. Yeah, she's right. got lots of scenes, lots of talking and lots of like showing her personality and character and, and just, you know, lots of like little funny things, like the part where she's kissing him while, while all the people escape out of the room and she's making all those like insane sounds and, you know, and she's just grabbing him. And, oh, I don't know. There's just yeah. it's lots of silly, cute stuff where you're like, oh, Lena, you're so silly. I like that feeling. I like just palling around with Lena. And like when, and you had mentioned a little bit earlier, like when she was at the bar and she has that shield and that other guy is trying to pick up on her and she's like, you can go fuck off and like, tell her, like I thought it was pretty funny. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, fuck totally. you, dude. I ain't gonna fucking go with you. What the fuck are you talking about? You know, it was, it was yeah, funny. yeah, yeah. She's great. All right, well, oh. let's let's go ahead and uh, I'm gonna knock out this um, list. observer list and see what we got in here. Because not there's not a lot, but some definitely do. Uh, number one, body of water. Yes, we see body of water. Uh, number two, sailboat. No sailboats, but number three, boats. Yeah, there's a boat that we see in the film, a good-sized boat. Uh, number four, palm trees. Yes, a few. Uh, five, jungle sound effects. No. Six, chained-up person. No. Uh, seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. No. Um, eight, club scenes, dancing in a bar. Yeah, there's people that I can talk about. The guy and that woman dancing that he starts a fight with. There's Lena playing that. I guess Lena's strip tease would basically be her playing that piano in front of all the people and watching her. That would be her strip tease routine, I guess. Even though she's there was the part where when she was singing and you know taking her skirt up and all that, but that yeah. that'd be brilliant. that's but yeah, I'd say so. That was like she was still on stage, kind of in front of a lot of people, but she's playing that piano, you know, and it's a funny scene. It's not a strip tease scene, but. That would qualify. Yeah, no, for we're in that like matronly dress in that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number nine, jazz music. Not really. There's like a keyboard and instrumental and and other stuff, but no, you know, and but no, really jazz as much. That's pretty much just those two weird songs and variations. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kumbaya, baby. Number ten, excessive zooms. Not really. Is 
there's quite a few zooming, but not nothing crazy. Uh, 11 out of focus shots, no. 12 mirror shots, no. Uh, 13 mind control themes, not in this one. 14 magic tongue scenes, unfortunately, no. That's another minus in our book. Uh, number 15, red light. Yeah, uh, in that club uh, where he starts the fight and the guy shows him the knife, there's like a bunch of red lighted windows. It's very faint, but that's what I caught. Uh, 16, <laughs> I know. Uh, 16, sheepskin rug. No, masturbation with a letter C item. No. 17, mad scientist and servant. No. 18, fish tank shots. No. 19, talking birds, talking parrots. No. 20, uh, in credits, yes or no. Yes. And it says, uh, with, it says Finn and then in credits. Uh, 21, handwritten signs. Any cheesiness? No. Nothing like that. Uh, 22, spiral staircase. No, but there's a staircase at the end when him and her are walking, looking for Howard Vernon. Oh, actually, one thing we forgot to talk about. Uh, there's a cool scene where Lena goes to that abandoned discotheque and that guy drops her off in the taxi and she's like looking around that scene. That was a fucking cool scene, too. Hmm. Remember that? The abandoned discotheque? Yeah, that, that, that taxi driver, she's supposed to go to a club, uh, Club, Bra- club Brava or something. And he goes... Oh, yeah, yeah. And she goes, yeah. oh, is this the club? The guy goes, yeah. She goes, we wait for you a minute? And the taxi driver says, yeah, sure, no problem. And she goes up there, and the taxi driver takes off real quick. And she's like, oh, you bastard. And then she goes to that place, and it's all abandoned, and she was supposed to meet somebody there. And there's like, and then she finds that guy's dead body hanging in the thing. Yeah, that place looks sketchy. Yeah, that, that was, was a fucking good scene. Like, it, it, that place really reminded me of that place that got had the mass shooting like a month or two ago with the, like, it was like a... Um, you know, a, a gay bar or whatever that got shot up. Oh yeah, um, yeah, right, right, yeah. No, you know, it was like they were showing it in the daytime, and it looked kind of just like like this sad, lonely like bar out in the middle. I don't know that somehow I, it made me think of that when I when I thought of the when I when I watched this. Wow. Like, I bet that place is you know is a lot more fun at night. <laughs> yeah, sometimes those places in the day don't aren't the best. Yeah, in the day, kind of kind of lonely. The harsh light of reality hits. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay, 23, inept cops. Yeah, totally inept cops in this. I was laughing because uh, they uh, he throws the thing in his face and then they go looking for something else and then it's like they're totally not doing their job in this. It was funny. Yeah, uh, it was strange though when he's like, yeah, go meet up with this person and if you're not back in a half hour, I'll come with cops. It's like, why would you even send her at all if you thought you were going to have to come with cops in a half hour? Like, just go with her and hide somewhere and see if she's, you know, like, I, I thought that was really strange. And then I kept thinking, like, where can you just, like, grab cops and get them to go with you somewhere? Like, that's not a thing. You can't be like, hey, cops, come with me. We're going to go. I know. Like, <laughs> Exactly. Well, he's a CIA guy, so he could, but yeah. But. Oh, right, right. I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. But, but, but I, yeah, I, but I see what you're saying. Because I thought he was just the, some dude I didn't realize he was CIA until he was like like halfway through, and I was like, oh. Right, they don't let you know that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, yeah. so I still think I was having a hard time buying that. That's funny. Uh, number 24, belly chains, no. 25, kinks, no. There's no sex, no kinks in this. Uh, 26, great headboards, no. 27. Okay, and here's the question. 27, fear or desire? What are you going to say? Or is there either? (laughs) Yeah, it's not really either. I mean, if you had to pick one, I'd say fear, but it's not a scary movie at all. No, Lena's afraid of the people trying to kill her, maybe. 
and they desire yeah. the formula, but you know, maybe that's why we didn't like it because it's like, what is the point to all this? <laughs> like, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. That's actually like, like that's the fundamental philosophical question that we're kind of like not getting like, okay, so she's on this like wacky adventure, but like w- to what end? Yeah, like she's not after anything. She doesn't end up with anything. Nobody ends up with anything. Like, I mean, they, they're trying to get the formula or whatever, but they don't get it. And so that's all for the best. But like, it just is like, who cares? I don't know. Yeah, that that's a that's a big factor. Plus, I think too. Like, I always—I I don't always, but I—I I usually dislike mistaken identities or people framed for things they didn't do. Movies, like, I just all those things. I'm always like, oh, I just—it's almost like puts anxiety on you, you know. I mean, yeah. not as much because it's comical, but still, it's like people are. That's getting- true. Yeah, actually, yeah, I yeah, because it's just kind of exhausting when you know something that all the characters don't, and you're kind of like, oh my god, figure it out already. Like, yeah, it's just like that, that joke can only get played so long. I mean, that's the premise of the entire movie. It does get kind of, uh, that could be another element too, that we're not really thinking of that might add to the unpleasantness of the thoughts. <laughs> dumb, but because you're so obsessed with headboards, I was finally trying to pay attention for the first time, like actually think about headboards. And then the only thing that I noticed was like the scene when they kill Eugenie uh, or whatever, or right. Them, there's like two beds pushed together and it's so weird because the way that the beds are designed, they're still separate. So there's like a gap between each bed. And I just kept thinking how weird it would be if that was really a hotel room and you went into it and you were like, it's two beds pushed together, but like still had like a big gap. I don't know. I was very confused by who said that was a good idea, but I guess they had to do it. So they could both lie in bed with her while they shot her up. But right. You see that a lot in these films where they're always pushing the two single beds together for one bed. There's always, it looks odd. Yeah. Just yeah. the hotels. For some reason, they always get two singles when they get a room. You really can't find a double for this scene. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, man. How hard could it be in a hotel? But yeah, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, okay, number twenty-eight, acoustic guitar player. Oh yeah, the spy playing that guitar. I was laughing as all, and he's like holding the acoustic you know, guitar. Playing guitar. Yeah, 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 and uh, <laughs> her too. So I was laughing. Fake playing guitar. Yeah, I mean, and like the, 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 I mean, the way that like every time she touched it, they played the music like she was playing, and then as soon as she you know touched away, then the music stopped. It was like they were really trying to make it believable that. Like when she barely touched it, it was going, you know, like pretty Daniel White style guitar. Yeah. I was like, that's not her playing. Well, but that's in all movies when people are <laughs> playing the piano or doing that. You know, they're not really playing. I so, mean, like, actors at least try to like, you know. Yeah, but when you shoot a film in three weeks, you're going yeah, to no, I know, I know, so it's fast, yeah. you know. But I mean, I would have, I wouldn't have framed it like that if I was Jess, if I was really trying right. No, I mean he wasn't even trying. Is my point? It was just like she touched it. If her fingers were on the frets, there was like this gorgeous music playing, and then she'd take them off. <laughs> it goes away. It was just, I don't know. Come on, Jess. See, I almost think though, like if you play it straightforward, like we're talking about, then it's like we're still not going to believe it. But if you accidentally show a couple frames of it not doing it, then we laugh at it. Then we have two good things instead of one good thing. You know. Because you're not going to believe yeah, it anyway. You know, fair really, enough. I was just thinking and about I mean, that. It's, was just like, it's a campy, silly comedy anyways. Like, just yeah. let it, you know, that's part of it. 
Yeah. Sometimes like it's like a almost a subconscious mistake where that mistake can actually add to the value of what you're doing in a different way, you know. But yeah, it's interesting. Uh, 29, uh, reading a book scene. No, nobody really reads books in there. They just try to <laughs> write the music and think about the music and how those things go together. And finding to number 30, pee scene. No, nobody talks about going pee or pee in their pants <laughs> or having a pee or there's no pee-pees in this, so. No pee-pees. Yeah, and usually, like, uh, the Franco list always wraps up with a P, always P at the end, so that's the end of the Franco list. <laughs> so, God. Um, Are you keeping track of all these? Like, do you save all these lists at the end when you've got all the... I should, but all, all my paper lists I throw in the garbage when I'm done. I just, oh, I, no. Yeah, I should, all my stuff, I just... It's just. I mean, they're always preserved on the podcast, but yeah, I know. I yeah, should, but I want, like, a grand total at the end, you know? Oh, like, God, I'm not many... that obsessive. Um, well, you know, I mean, it'd be kind of cool if you were like, well, yeah, in like 175 out of 200 films, there's a body of water, and you know, that's true. That's true. Maybe I go that's up like, down to that part of every episode. Now. I know. I, I actually always kind of thought you were doing that, but I just realized I should confirm that. But yeah, like that, that, that yeah, I mean, no, that I'm, I don't know. Like to get like a to see if this is really like at the end of the day, is this you know what is the actual percentage? Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. Or what is just like. 23 yeah but but then in the end i mean what does that mean you know that's where i look at it. i'm like okay good by the end 82 percent of this and 75 percent of that and, well then yeah. you know that it was like genuinely something that franco was like committed to having in there and that he was really interested in focusing on rather than it just being a coincidence that you started like you know kind of obsessing on you know yeah no i think it's certain items I think certain items in there are certain time frames. Like I think all the masturbation with the C items are mostly the. Um, uh, um, like, do you really think that he was like with C items, or I mean, I, I, yeah, because that producer, um, I just spaced his name because uh, his middle initial was C. So I, to me, that was our joke. Is like it was just so funny because every movie in a row during those twelve movies, he did it like. 10 films or like nine films out of 12 or something has had masturbation with a C item. It was like, if only wow. there was someone to ask if that was, yeah, because it was like one film, then the next film, then the next film, like, what's this? Something's going on here. Why are you doing this with, you know, because the first time it shocks you, then the second time, and the third time. So, you know, huh. or, or, yeah, um, God damn, I, I, I can get a look at the thing, but yeah, it's that guy who did the barbed wire dolls and, you know, slaves and all those films. Um, C. Dietrich, Urban C. Dietrich, or whatever. Dietrich, yeah, there you go. Yeah, or, yeah, Urban C. Dietrich. That was the producer. Yeah. So all during the Dietrich films is when he did the masturbation of the C item. You know. Okay. Yeah. Even the cucumbers, like, oh, I was like, come on, dude. What else? C? It's like almost like a list of what other C items. I mean, cucumbers are an obvious one, though. You know. Yeah, cucumber, I mean, cigar, candelabra. I'm willing to bet, like, you know, three or four out of. Ten women have used a cucumber in their lives. Yeah, but it was like cigarette, cucumber, candelabra, candle, cigar, uh, claw, cane. It was just like all these C's. Right? Like, Come on, dude! All these C items. It was funny. So, okay. Okay. Why is every item have to start with a C? It's like I mean, fuck? but cigar is also. I mean, you know. Yeah, you know, I was but... Halloweenski once for Halloween, and I had all these cigars with me, and then I even got to do that. It was fun. Nice. <laughs> so did you smoke the cigars afterwards or did you hand them out to homeless he people did. outside? Oh. <laughs> that would be obnoxious, but yeah, that was, yeah. it's one of my finer moments. Yeah, sure. Fine, <laughs> fine, fine, like wine, you know, 
And actually, they weren't cigars. They were uh, Swisher Sweets that you were doing with it all. <laughs> hey, no, I was always a, I've always been a cigar aficionado. I had this winter in Colorado where I uh, drank a lot of port and smoked a lot of cigars. That was like the whole thing. We smoked, I mean, we snowboarded every day and then cigared and, and ported all night. And so I got really picky with my cigars and I'm a cigar aficionado. That's cool. Yeah, I was never a big cigar guy. I liked it when I was in like high school, college age, like that time frame, because I thought they looked cool. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just never. I I smoked them for maybe six months. That was about it. Yeah, that was about as long as the the phase went. It's kind of you know because you don't want to make that like a lifetime thing. It was just kind of a you know I had my time with it. It was beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, if I ever do indulge, which is maybe once every few years, then it's always going to be a good one. It's going to be worth it. And if it's going up my coochie, it better be just like, you know, Lena Romay in this movie talking about her oysters and champagne. You know, I want the Don Palais, the yeah. Don Palais champagne. <laughs> That's the kind of cigar I want up my pussy. So the last episode we did, you talked about a candle up your pussy. Now, this one, you talked about a cigar <laughs> up your pussy. I'm just I'm noticing a theme now. You know, we'll see items. I have to start up. <laughs> I'm going to put that in the list. <laughs> See, you're like, Jason's onto something, goddammit. What else has been in Kali's pussy? <laughs> it starts with a C. Let's see. Oh. Crawdads. No. <laughs> no crawdads yet. Although yeah. I do like a good crawdad bake. No. Crown. Crown Royal bottle. No. <laughs> I don't sleep. think I could fit that in there. That's a, that's a tricky one, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly oblong. Alrighty, well, I th- I think I think we're getting off the track here and uh, getting off the track and onto the liquor bottle. So we should probably uh, put this episode to bed. What do you say? Okay. Okay. Cats. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, have a lovely evening, Mr. Yes. And you have a lovely evening in the city of Angels. Now that this uh, storm has finally subsided for a little while, it looks like. Yay! Yeah, it's gonna be yeah. nice out. So we can all dry out and uh, have some fun. So. Yep. All right. I will see you on the rib on the flip side. Audio skater skater. Bye.